Hey, welcome to the Victory Family Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I'm so looking forward to today, to what God's put in my heart for all of us. We want to take a moment and welcome those with us online in Newcastle, Meadville, uh, one church, multiple locations. Come on, Cranberry, would you welcome them with us today? We love you guys so much. You know, small groups are such a critical part of, of, of your spiritual life. We don't just do it just because something else to make people do or a church program. It literally is God's plan to help you to grow. It's God's plan to help you to connect and to get care that you need. So really want to encourage you men particularly. We have a tendency to not really want to connect. And I'm telling you it matters to get with other men that, want to, that will walk this journey with you. And you can do it around things like going and shooting things if you want. And uh, because how many of you know sometimes you just have to go shed some innocent blood? Come on. Yes. Yes. Ah, that probably isn't how to start a sermon right there. <laughs> but all the men will help me and say, thank you. That, that made me feel so good. So uh, <clears throat> about, I guess, several weeks back now, um, God began to deal with me about literally providing the way out of what I've been observing now for going on well over a year and a half of watching God's people be under this umbrella of, of this fog. And as a pastor, like as a parent would, there's this grieving. And, and, and the Holy Spirit began to deal with me about providing that way out for people very clearly in God's word. And that's what these three weeks are about, last week, this week, and the next. And last week we had an incredible time in the presence of God. So titling it out for these three weeks is simply this, times of refreshing. What, what, what do I mean by that? In God's presence, how to actually be refreshed in an environment that doesn't offer it. Let me read you out of Acts 3.19. This is the Apostle Peter giving a message to those who have just observed a miracle as he's giving them the message of the gospel. And in Acts 3.19, he said, repent, turn, and think differently, and be converted or completely changed. When you give your life to Jesus, you're completely changed. You don't turn over a new leaf. You become a new, a new creation, a child of God. Aren't you glad Jesus has made you brand new? Come on, man. It's such a privilege. Not the nonsense of religion, but a new birth. Be completely changed so that your sins may be obliterated and wiped away. That's good news. He said, so that times of refreshing or recovery of breath may come from a source, the presence of the Lord, the presence of God. Now, he literally is telling us that when you get into God's actual presence, you will recover your breath. Times of refreshing, if you study the Greek, it literally means a person catching their breath. Now, I was literally praying about an illustration, and I don't know if this was from my heart, from maybe the heart of heaven, or just because I, it's opening weekend for the Steelers. You know, and they're playing, you know, the bungles. And uh, how many of you remember Myron Cope? Come on. So we, let's bring Myron back from the grave just a minute. Shouldn't have said that either, should I? I'm sorry. It's all right. They're going down a terrible towel show. That's Myron Cope. For those of you who have no idea who Myron Cope was, that is a real broadcaster who used to broadcast just Google or YouTube, Myron Cope, and enjoy. 
But if any of you remember the Steelers Super Bowl where, they, where we beat the Arizona Cardinals and this amazing interception happened right at the end of the first half. The Steelers won one of, I think, their final of the six Super Bowl rings. It was, it was, it, it was a great day. And I just want to show you this as we illustrate what it means to catch your breath. Take a look. He's got Bolden and Fitzgerald to the left. He's got Breston to the right. 18 seconds. Well, they can pick down here. From the gun. Steelers show blitz. Here they come. He gets it away and it's picked off at the goal line. There's a flag thrown on the run back. James Harrison to run it back. And Harrison is past midfield. Harrison going down the sideline. Harrison still on his feet. Harrison is going to go all the way and waiting for the official to get there. Touchdown is signal. A flag is down on the run back, back at the nine-yard line. Prior to the pass, personal foul, grasping the face mask. Offense number 74. The foul occurred during the last time down. The touchdown counts. Unbelievable. Harrison completely gassed the call. All right. Come on, man. Wasn't that a blast? Yeah. I love it. The end he said, Harrison is completely gassed. That's exactly where I see God's people today in that state. They can't catch their breath. And if you've ever been in that state where you can't catch your breath, it's a terrifying thing. In fact, I've never seen what I'm seeing today in 41 years of ministry, 29 years of pastoring this church. I've never seen God's people under the condition that they're in. And we've been through a lot of national trauma, but I've never seen it like I'm seeing it today. And I want to help you to understand how to walk free in the midst of this. Not to pretend it doesn't exist, not to get trapped in it, but to truly catch your breath in the midst of this. Last week, I gave you some statistics about anxiety and depression that were horrific in our culture. I want to give you some statistics today. A friend of mine who leads pastors around the nation sent me this uh, Barna study. Barna does polling, and, and, and in 2021, Barna surveyed pastors. And this is in 2021. 29% of pastors were considering abandoning their calling, and they were citing stress, anxiety, and depression as the cause. 29% which is epidemic by itself. One year later, the same group surveyed in the same methods in 2022, and it, became, it went up 13% to 42%. 42% of pastors today are considering abandoning their calling. Why? See, this isn't an us and them. This is all of us. There is no one exempt from this attack. And it is at epidemic proportions. When I started, when Michelle and I started Victory in 93, and even before that, you would see that there would be a kind of a, a wave of trauma that would hit the nation every seven years, some national issue. Seven, eight years, six to eight years. And then it began to be every three years. And now the waves are one on top of another. There is no break. They don't stop. They're constant. And Jesus told us in the last days in which we're living, he said, as, as, the, as that is the end of that age uh, of the church would, would, would approach, 
Jesus said that these type of things would happen more and more. In fact, he said so much so that men and women's hearts would fail them for fear. If that's not a definition of anxiety and depression and stress, I don't know what is. And so it's here, and it's not going to get better. Well, thank you. I'm so glad I came here today. (laughs) But what does God have for you? Last week, and I don't have time to reiterate virtually any of it from last week, but if you weren't here, I plead with you to go watch the message online because it's an illustrated message that will help you understand this. We looked into the life of a man in the Old Testament named Lot. The Bible defined him as a man that was righteous before God. We saw how in Lot's life, his soul, which is his mind, his will, and his emotions, were being tortured. They were being worn down, the Bible said, continually because he was living, seeing, and hearing the wickedness of the world around him. He was living in Sodom and Gomorrah, which is kind of where you're living today. And he said, and the Bible said, his righteous soul became vexed, tortured, or worn down. That's exactly what's happening to God's people today. Now, I don't have time to reiterate the keys in in Lot's example, but I want to take you into the life of a man named Samson. And I want you to understand, how many of you have heard of Samson and Delilah? I mean, most people have heard heard of him, but let me give you a little background. Samson was, when he was born, God dealt with his parents and said, he is to take the vow of a Nazarite from birth. And there were certain things inherent within the vow of a Nazarite. Because Samson was going to be set apart for a purpose to serve Israel as a judge. And he was one of the last judges before Israel demanded of God a king. And so as as, as he's being raised in this calling, and he's being raised in this vow of the Nazarite. And the vow of the Nazarite had many things in it, but, but one was that he had to totally abstain from alcohol of any kind because he was going to be a leader. There's a whole lesson behind the vow of the Nazarite, which I can't get into, but he was commanded, don't, anything with alcohol, don't touch it because you're going to lead people and you have to keep your mind clear. The vow of the Nazarite meant that you, and also you could never have a razor touch your head. He could never, ever have his head shaved. And it was part of the vow. And then the third thing is he was never to touch a dead carcass. Even when his family would die, He had to not be near the corpse because it was part of the vow. It was a a decision to not embrace dead things. And there's, there's much behind it. But I want you to see how Samson, who had a great call of God on his life, if you know his story, the Holy Spirit would fall upon Samson at times of war. And he would have the strength of 10, 20, 30, 100 men. He was kind of like a Marvel comic guy. but for real. And he would wipe out a thousand people with a jawbone of a donkey. I mean, this superhuman strength would come upon him. And he walked in the power of God in a way that no one before or since has ever experienced in this life. I mean, God was using him. And so Samson is in this position. He's being used of God. He's called of God. But he begins to be tortured and vexed in his mind he begins to get worn down continually to where he gives his life away in a way that is devastating in the story of Samson as well as the story of Lot and I'll bring you to another story next week gives you the illustration of the ways this can happen to people 
Lot's was in a sense accidental in that he didn't really know that where he was heading was going to do that to him when he went. I want you to see the deliberate nature of Samson's torture, how he set himself up for it. And so when we talk about the mental torture of Samson, and by the way, if you've ever experienced depression or anxiety, and certainly any anxiety attack or stress, and particularly an anxiety attack, you know that that's the definition of torture. Uh, it is horrible, and it is epidemic in our culture. And the epidemic nature of the increase of these things are not because people organically are sick or have chemical issues in their body, of which people can and do. But the increase in numbers going up threefold, fourfold, have nothing to do with the chemical uh, composition of the people suffering. It's because they are being vexed in their minds. Now, as I said, I've watched... This happened across the board to people who don't know the Lord. But in, in my lifetime as a, as a minister, I have never seen God's people in a season when this happens not turn to God but turn away from him. And it is so, it's so distressing because you know the outcome of it. There's three things I want to look at today in regards to Samson and how he became vexed or tortured or worn down. I want to know how it happened because it's, it's not a secret. I want to know why it happened, and I want to know how to make it stop. And by the way, it can stop. The problems won't stop. The onslaught won't stop. But let me tell you something. You don't have to live this way as a Christian. You don't have to live under the onslaught of the world and become a statistic. God has called you to be the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. Blessed when you come in, blessed when you go out. How, though? How does that happen? It isn't just, oh, well, that's wonderful. Praise, praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Let me put a sticker on my refrigerator or something. No. This can be lived out in everyday life. I want to help you to do that. But how did this happen to this man that God was using? How did it happen? Number one, it happened this way because he laid his head in the lap of an enemy. He intentionally, listen to these words, intentionally laid his head in the lap of an enemy. And you see, it didn't start with a, a consequence. It started with Samson violating the vow of the Nazarite and temporarily keeping God's presence, temporarily keeping his office of being a judge, temporarily being used of God in these amazing ways. And Samson began to conclude that I can do whatever I want pertaining to the presence of God and I can keep literally enjoying his presence and it isn't true samson intentionally made some choices he began to do things that violated this vow one day he was walking down the road and he saw a carcass of a, of a dead lion and bees had made a, a hive inside the carcass and samson went inside to the dead carcass and he took a, a, a piece of honeycomb out and he ate it and what Samson did was he went to a dead carcass because he didn't think it would have any impact. And what's the principle is that he tried to find something alive in something dead. And the reason God's people, and by God's people, I don't mean you, I mean all of us, me included, the temptation today is to go into a world, into a culture, and to try to find life in something that's dead. And Samson did it, but there was no consequence. He began to consume alcohol and his judgment was impaired. Before long, he was spending a lot of time with women who, who not be his wife. You, you all know what I mean. They was having what you call fellowship. You all know what I mean by fellowship. And then he got involved with this woman named Delilah. 
And boy, I mean, he and Delilah, they, I'm telling you, they would be, uh, it would be a, a, a reality show today. I mean, boy, I mean, it would just, it's like the bachelorette or whatever. I mean, except there's just two of them, which I just don't understand the bachelorette and all that stuff. I don't get it. I just makes me, anyway, I just, I can't stand the thought. Anyway, I don't want to offend any women, but that's brutal. For any dad that with daughters, just like, we could just kill all of them but one and we'll be fine. But, uh, and all the men said, oh man, that was so weak. Come on, man. All the men said, all the campuses, come on. Help me, somebody. Sweet, merciful Jesus, help me, help me, help me. But now Samson is in a relationship with this woman who doesn't love him and he doesn't love her, but they pretend they do. Kind of like a lot in the world today. And it was purely sexual. And now Samson, she knows the great feats of strength. And she says to him, three times she tempts him. The first two, tell me, tell me your source of strength. And so he tells her and lies to her. When he falls asleep in her lap, she does the thing he tells her that would make him lose his strength. And then he wakes up and he says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And what she's tied him up with, he breaks easily. And she says, you don't love me, you lied to me. And she starts, the Bible said, to vex him with her words. But he's been worn down through these decisions over time. And now he's been being set up. It happens a second time. And again, he lies to her. And she's furious. Now let me take you to the third time. Because sometimes we think it all happens on, on the final day of when things collapse. But it isn't when it happens. It happens when we depart from the presence of God and try to find something alive and something dead, something to sustain us other than God, something, the belief and the lie that there's something good outside of God for me and you. And it is a lie that every one of us have to contend with today. In Judges chapter 16 and verse 15, I want you to see what actually happened now. So Delilah says to Samson, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. And it came to pass that when she pressed him daily, so this was actually the fourth time, she pressed him daily. Everyone say daily. That's how you get vexed. It's continual. She pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed to the point of death. Now that's some serious nagging right there. Men can do it too. It just happens to be a woman in this case. I'm trying to be politically correct, but it is true. Men and women can nag. But, I mean, this is, some, this is championship gold medal nagging. She busted chops so badly, he just said, I'd rather die than not tell you. And then he did the most horrific thing. Verse 17, to an enemy, he told her everything. And he said, no razor has ever been used on my head. Because I have been a Nazarite. Now he's talking about a call of God while he's laying in the lap of a woman he's having a sexual relationship with. Look at the deception and lack of judgment in his life. Because I've been a Nazarite set apart to God from my birth while I'm laying in the lap with you. If my head were shaven, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak. Now listen to this statement. As any other man, without the presence of God in my life in your life, You are as helpless as any other human on the earth. And she listened to what he said. He fell asleep in her lap and she shaved his head. And when she shaved his head, then she woke him up and said, Samson, the Philistines have come upon you. Those are the enemies of Israel. But this time they were there. And they came in 
And Samson was about to get up and to, and to actually go and attack them, but his strength was gone. And they captured him, and they took this man of God who had fallen through being vexed in his soul, and they gouged his eyeballs out. And they brought him to their camp, and they used him as a, a, a sport, as, as something they would bring out to the Colosseum that the Philistines had, this Colosseum that over 3,000 people could be just on the roof of it. And they would bring him out, and they would laugh at him and say, look what our God has done to him. And for years, his eyes were gouged out, and they put him in a grinding wheel along with other animals, and he pushed a grinding wheel. This prince of a man became a beast of burden. That is the outcome of a vexed soul. And that's what happened to Samson. Because remember this, once my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions come under the dominion of the circumstances of my life or of a person, that person or the circumstance becomes the Lord of your life, the master of your life. And what it, what it results in is so devastating. You see it in Samson's life and we see it in our own. Is that if this happens and it's happening at epidemic proportions, is that you will give away the most precious parts of your life and your reward will be regret the enemy is so cruel you obey him and he rewards you with regret you will take the most precious thing samson took his calling samson took the fact that god almighty put his hand upon him in a way that no human had ever experienced and he gave it away that's what happens when your mind is vexed i'm seeing god's people do it right now Right now, the people of God are being so tempted and so vexed in their soul that they literally are giving away the most precious things in their life, their families, their calling, their relationship with God. Listen, their relationship with God's people. Because we, we've been convinced because of this vexation that over in this world that all the nonsense is that there's something in this dead place that can give me something sweet and there isn't. It's an absolute lie and it's an absolute deception. One that all of us could fall prey to right now. And sadly, many are. And it's my heart's desire that as we come through today and next week, that God helps separate and liberate each and every one of us from this, this, this onslaught because he can and he desires to do. People are giving away their relationships with God in such a way that you know in the book of Hebrews, God says this. He said, don't forsake coming together and joining yourselves together intentionally as God's people, as the manner of some has become. And when you see the end days approaching, make sure, listen now, that you gather even the more so. Why? Because of some religious duty? No. Because you are going to need the strength of the presence of God among the body of Christ and God's people. It's why small groups are not just, well, not quite, it's not, it doesn't fit my life yet. I need to get more, I need to go over to the carcass of a dead lion and find something sweet out of something dead because God's waiting. I, you know, it's, it's just not, I'm not there yet. I'm just not ready to respond to the presence of God, the one that died for me and loves me. It's a temptation that every person, every person is dealing with. It will cause you to walk away from your family. It will cause you to go seek money at the expense of your family. You know, as a pastor, I've had one of the, one of the greatest sorrows and the greatest privileges I've ever been privileged to have is that I've been able to be at the deathbed of so many people. And it is a great privilege, but it is an intense sorrow. And it, and, and, and it seems every time it happens, something in you just, something just gets checked out of you. It's just, it's just 
It, it's painful. And, and yet, I've been at the bedside of the poorest of the poor and the richest of the rich. And the only thing that they ever talk to me about is, is, is what they wish they would have done that would have mattered for, for, uh, for others, their family. And they rehearse their regrets. No one's ever told me, ever, I just wish I made more coin. Man, if I, just, if I just had more of my 401k. And what we end up doing is being so vexed in our mind that we will lay aside the most precious things in our life. And remember this, when your mind gets vexed, what you lay down for the presence of God will be of infinite less value than what you lost. And what the scripture helps us to do is to understand that wisdom right now so we can be delivered from this kind of thinking. It's why getting in a small group is so critical. It's why it's a coming to church matters. Isn't it something that prior to COVID, the average Christian's attendance began to drop off? They would come on average, and this is what was considered, again, the Barner Group, a committed Christian would come once, I think, every three and a half weeks, percentage-wise. After COVID, I think it's up to once every six weeks. So the very thing God tells us to do in the midst of the oppression, people are doing the opposite. Why? Well, they're lazy. No. They don't, they don't want to do God's will. No. Their soul has been vexed, and they're laying down the very thing that God said will rescue you because of the deception of a vexed mind. And, it's, and again, I, I, I pray you hear me at all of our campuses I am not speaking at you. I'm speaking with you. I'm in the same world you are. And I think you could see from that statistic I, I gave you a while back that ministers aren't exempt from this either. So number two, why has this happened? Why did this happen? Why did this happen to Samson? And how, how, why, why would it be happening to me? Very simply, he lost the presence of God in his life. What do you mean he lost it? He made a decision to walk away from it. God didn't withdraw from Samson. Samson withdrew from him. In fact, in the New Testament, God says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. He will not violate my will. Samson lost the presence of God in one of the saddest verses in the entire Bible. I want you to see this illustrates and tells you what happened. When God's presence left him after he told his secret to Delilah. Look at Judges 16 verse 20. And Delilah said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times. And I will shake myself free. This is one of the saddest sentences in the Bible. But he did not know that the presence of the Lord had departed from him. He didn't even know it. That's what a vexed soul will do for you. That's why getting caught up in everything outside of what God has for you will take you places where you don't even know that God's presence is no longer a part of my life or your life. He didn't even know it. He had the presumption that he's just, hey, I'm just going to shake myself like it was his power. I've just shake my, but the presence of God was what gave him the power. A question I've been asked over and over and over again by ministers, and you can maybe see why from that statistic, more times than I can count in the last five years is this. How have you and Michelle maintained staying, quote, in the game, if you will, all these many years with a passion, not phoning it in? How have you done that? I can tell you it's one simple thing. We have maintained 
the, the absolute manifest presence of God in our life on a consistent basis. And we keep catching our breath. We're no stronger than anybody else. We aren't any, obviously, any smarter than anyone else. We're not, have more spirituality. It's just the manifest presence of God. Now, again, let me clarify. What do I mean the manifest presence of God? God is omniscient. He's present always, everywhere, at all times. But the manifest presence of God is when it's not just a general presence of God everywhere because he's omniscient. It's when he manifests himself and now you know he's there. It's like if in one of the campuses or where you're watching this, somebody were identified in the room right now and I said, stand up. And that person had been here all the while, their presence, but now their presence has been manifest. God wants you and me to experience his manifest presence in our daily life, where you sense his presence, where you, listen to me, feel his presence in your life. And in that environment, he said, I will let you catch your breath in a world that will continually want to take it away. Samson departed from the, from the presence of God. God honored that choice. And lastly, the most important part to me is, how do I make this stop? Because the circumstance isn't going to stop. The, what's happening in our world around us is not going to stop. How do I make it stop? We have to turn or repent and turn back toward the presence of God. These three weeks, we're, we're concluding each of the weekends with a time of worship and repentance. And I'll make that very clear as we go on if you particularly weren't here last week. But here's what I want you to understand about the God we serve. He's a God of restoration. He's a God that the game's not over until he says it's over. He's a God that, he's the God of T-ball. You know what T-ball is? That's when kids just get to stand there and hit until they hit something and they can run to third base and everyone cheers. God's not interested in punishing anybody. He's interested in restoring. Listen, ever read Psalms 23? He restoreth my soul. Why? Because it constantly needs to be restored. Because it's constantly being vexed. And something amazing happened to Samson. Where I want you to see the faithfulness of God in his life. He was brought into captivity and he spent the bulk of his life as a prisoner. His eyes gouged out. Being used for sport to the Philistines as they made fun of Samson's God and elevated their God in front of him. Finally, they bring him out again. There are 3,000 of the leaders of the Philistines on the roof or this porch over this great Colosseum. And Samson says to the man bringing him out, because they're just making fun of him and, and, and he can't see, of course, and they're laughing at him. And everybody's just having a great laugh at his expense. And he says to the man, put my, put my hand up against the, the support pillar under the awning. And the man, sure, he brought him over there because it didn't matter where he stood. And here's the prayer. Samson prayed, oh, and this is, my, this is a prayer of repentance. But it's a prayer that doesn't have to be at a time of desperation if we can turn willfully before circumstances actually drive us to a place of making the cry. And he said, God, restore to me my calling. Restore to me one last time my strength. One last time, God, let me be used of you to defeat this enemy. And he said, Lord, let me die with them. Let this be my final act. Because you see, Samson's head had been shaved. But let me tell you something about hair, at least in this stage. Sometimes it goes away completely, but it grows back. And what ended up happening is Samson's hair did grow back. And just like the hair would grow back as a process... 
you can be restored. And you don't have to stay how you are. You don't have to be defined by the worst thing you've ever done or happened to you. God is a God of restoration. He can do it at the moment of my life where I turn and choose because I choose to, because his Holy Spirit is drawing me to this, to, to give me my breath back so that I can stay in my purpose and not deal with this kind of destruction. But even if you've messed everything up in your life, you've blown your family up in 20 directions, God isn't done with you. God isn't rejecting you. He's for you. He will restore you. He will restore you if you'll turn to him and not keep trying to find your sustenance out of a culture that is dead. And I want you to see this wonderful thing in Acts chapter 3 again. Let me read it to you again. In 319 it says this. Repent. Turn and think differently. Be converted, completely changed so that your sins may be obliterated and wiped away so that times of refreshing or recovery of breath can come from the presence of God. God is telling us as as his children that he paid an enormous debt for. He said, if you'll come into my presence, I'll refresh you. If you choose not to, I'll respect that. Time and time again in the scripture, it says, God says, seek my face. And what we often seek is what's in his hands. God's face is his presence God's hands are his provisions. And so often what we end up seeking from God is what's in his hand and not his presence. You see, when you seek his, his face or his presence, what's in his hand comes with it. But if you start with his hands and not his face, then he becomes a spiritual vending machine. Jesus didn't die so I could just get something from God. Jesus died so I could have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe who desperately loves me so that he could breathe upon me in a broken world and he could breathe upon you that's the God we serve and oh how desperately he loves you how desperately he loves me and that's my hope for every one of us you see when you seek his face you get what is in his hand that's why Jesus said in Matthew six thirty three, these words but seek first everyone say first not 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 only seek first The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things in my hand will be given to you as well. The context, as he said, people are seeking for all the stuff that everyone's seeking for. And he's talking to his people. He said, don't do that. Seek me first. And everything in my hand, I will add to you. You won't add to you. I will add to you. Imagine the presence of God that he adds what you need from his hands because he's your father, not because you earned it, not because you did something great and and convinced God to love you. This is what's available to every child of God. And here's the question that I ask myself and I'm asking you to ask today at all of our campuses. Where have I laid my lap intentionally and my head in the lap of an enemy? What is it and where is it that I have tried to get something alive out of something dead? Where have I replaced God's manifest presence in my life? thinking that this other will somehow restore me and only God can restore my soul. Only God can restore your soul. And so repentance that he speaks of in Acts chapter 3, which is the prerequisite to his presence, has to be an intentional act. Here's all repentance means. It means to turn in the other direction and go that way. That's all it means. If you live in this world long enough, you're going to get turned around. And so many of God's people All of us have been tempted. All of us have been turned at times. But an intimate relationship with God is when you turn 
toward his presence and you catch your breath and you get a, a lifestyle of that. You repent and you go, you, you get, you get to ask this question, do I even have a prayer life at all? Do I ever pray? Have ever learned to have a prayer life with, to experience his presence? Do, do I get in his word, which Jesus said, their spirit and their life? Do I have a, just a daily time that I just let God speak to me from his word? Now, you may have never had that, and you can gain that. Small groups will help you do it, number one. That's, that's incredible. In fact, we have small groups that will help you learn how to do it. But what I've seen of many of God's people is that they've let go of that, and like Samson, they don't even know it's happening. And they keep getting darker, and they don't know why. It isn't repentance toward what you're going to go do to please God. It's understanding that you're prioritizing being with God's people again because God said, you need to be with my people. You need to be there consistently when, when God's people are to gather together. Come on the weekends. Get in a small group. Make it a priority to be in his presence so that you can catch your breath. Ladies, come to the Reawaken Women's Conference. Come to it and experience his presence. God won't make you go. You've got to go on there, register, and come. And those of you who are coming... Go do the calling on your life and go get other women and bring them with you. If you've been in a women's small group and you have relationships, call them. Make sure they're coming. Care for one another. Because only in his presence and only God knows what a moment in his presence can deliver somebody from and set them free. I long for all of us to experience his presence in this regard. God, what have I exchanged for your presence in my life? I know you expect, you, you'll respect my choice. But I want to turn from all of those things, things that I know I should turn from. But now, listen, and as I come and worship you, show me anything in me that needs to be laid down that I've accepted the lie. And I'll turn from it, Lord. I'll do it, I promise. No, no, no. I'll do it by your strength. And, and because you love me, you'll empower me. You'll tell me where to go, and then you'll give me the gas to get there. That's what it means to walk with God. Oh, how he loves you. And all of our campuses, how he loves you. In a moment, I'm going to turn it over to our campus pastors. And, and then, then I'm going to lead our campus here into a time, not just of worship, but a time of repentance. Campus pastors, go ahead and take it right now. Lead those precious folks that you shepherd and pastor into the presence of God in a time of repentance. Now, Cranberry, this campus, those of you online, please hear my heart. Would you all stand together with me? In a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something as an act of repentance. Now, when you say, you see, if you hear repentance the wrong way, you think, oh, you mean I, I'm doing something wrong, all that. No, no, no. Repentance just means turn. Sometimes it is a wrongdoing. Sometimes it's just stuff that isn't profitable. And I don't know if God's dealt with you. I know what he's dealt with me since I've been praying this way. John, put that away. That, that's not, it's not wrong, but it's not, it's not helping you. Don't, don't replace me with that. Okay, Lord, help me to do that. That's pretty simple, isn't it? You see, repentance toward the presence of God is a decision to turn intentionally. And in the moment, we're going to worship God. And what I'm going to ask every one of you to do, if you're, if you're a believer, if you know Jesus, even if you don't, because I'll give you the opportunity at the end of the service here in a little while, 
is that as we, in a moment, as I begin to pray, I'm going to ask you to simply make a step, a physical step, that an outward evidence of an inward working. And we're going to, again, this week, and we'll do it next week, and we're going to fill this front and these aisles as we move out of our seats, up in the raft, wherever you are, uh, if you're up in the risers, wherever you are, make a way and say, well, I, don't, I can't get to the front, just move. And as you're moving, simply say, Lord, I'm walking toward your presence. And here's your prayer. It's really simple. If you know something in your heart that you need to lay down, don't say, I make a promise, God, I'll do it and white knuckle it. Just say, Lord, thank you for the strength. I I I promise to yield to your strength and I trust you. Help me to walk that out. But it isn't the things that we just know. It's the unknowns that can get you. Not just things that are committed sins, but omitted things that God would want me to have in my life that have been replaced. Humbly say, because of his love and he wants to breathe on you, show me that, Lord. Speak to me. Do you know he wants to talk to you? Do you know in his presence he wants you to experience a catching of your breath? He wants anxiety and depression to to melt like wax out of your life and my life. His healing power to fall in this room. Bodies to be made whole in, in a breath from God. Supernatural power from God. I am not talking to you about coming and singing a song. Worship isn't a song you sing. It is a God that you adore and that you serve and that you worship. And as we come into his presence, I'm going to pray over you and I'm going to pray what I've prayed myself again and again and I'm going to encourage you to do the same. But as I pray this prayer, go ahead and begin to make your way out of these seats. Fill up the front and everywhere in this place, if you want truly to be refreshed, Take that step. Let's come into his presence together. Let's gather together as it were as an altar. And let me pray over you as we do. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person here under the sound of my voice, those online. We make our way into your presence. We make a physical step toward a God that loves us desperately. Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. Show me things that I cannot see without you. Empower me to obey. Give me the strength to do what you lead me to do. Thank you for breathing on me. Thank you for helping me to catch my breath in a world that seeks to take it away. Restore my soul. Restore my mind, my will, my emotions. Breathe upon me. I humble myself in your presence. Whatever you say, whatever you want. Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. And now, Father, thank you for your power to be made known in this room in every imaginable area because of your great love. Come on, now let's worship him together. Worship him. Worship him. Worship him. Worship Thank you for listening to this podcast from Victory Family Church. If you enjoyed listening, please take a moment to rate, review, and share. For more resources, including locations and service times, please visit lifeatvictory.com. 